The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today it is an honor to welcome Monica Nuvamsa. She is the executive director of the Hopi Foundation. And this summer I had the opportunity to attend an agriculture and food symposium sponsored by the Hopi Foundation that was on the reservation. We did farm tours, or I should say field tours, and we got to taste Hopi foods, traditional native foods, and learn specifically about a different culture from my own. And it was wonderful. So I'm so grateful to have you here. Welcome, Monica. Thank you. I should first ask, I think, a little bit about the Hopi tribe and what the Hopi Foundation does. Every tribe is unique. You taught me so much about some of the values that are within the Hopi tribe. Why don't you explain some of those? Oh, boy, there's a lot to cover in such a a nutshell. Hopi is a very self-sufficient and very independent-minded community. It was created out of the idea that we do our work ourselves. That self-sufficiency has allowed our community to stay strong over the many years and through the many challenges of colonization and other external influences. While we do blend a lot of the modern with the old, we do recognize that there are some core aspects of our community that we want to stay strong, and those are the values that you mentioned. Some of those include meaning to have respect for one another for all life forms and through our communication and our interaction with one another and the world around us, that that respect comes first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Other values that we follow are what we do for one another as a community. Meaning to come together out of the same heart and mind to support one another toward an endeavor. And there are many other values that are similar to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could learn so much from different values and cultures to improve our own. You know, take the best from many cultures to build a more cohesive and strong society. And when I visited your community, what really touched me, I think, was this hard work ethic and a recognition that you work in community, that you respect one another, and that you respect the earth, and that decisions that you make are made in context of how those decisions affect the earth. Mm -hmm. Would you like to talk a little bit about some of those in terms of real-life application? I think from from your experience this summer, you've seen one aspect of the way that we do that, and that's through our farming and and agricultural tradition. One of the the very first principles that we came together as a society under is the concept of stewardship, and that is what we put into the, the ground has to stay in respect with what was there to begin with, not overgathering food 
for example, the wild spinach or onions or other berries that are out there, but to keep in mind that what you take, you also want to leave behind for future generations. Through farming, specifically farming by hand, meaning using the planting stick as opposed to a tractor, for example, to help minimize the over-tilling of the soil and the loss of the soil that has so rich minerals in there to keep the, the plants growing. Many of farmers across the country irrigate their farmlands. Hopefully we, we rely solely on rainfall and groundwater that is already in the soil to help grow the plants. Um, they call it the dry farming technique. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not unique, but it's very rare to find that type of farming in the world. Hopi has practiced that for many generations, over a thousand years. And the corn that we've managed to grow has has sort of built within its own um, genetics, within its own body, the, the strength to survive that type of environment. So, you know, we, we try to keep that balance and growing our our corn and our plants and growing our children and our people in the same manner has kept us strong throughout those years. Yeah, part of the Agriculture and Food Symposium was a marvelous tour of the fields where we saw corn, squash, and beans being planted, and there was no irrigation. And there we were, and I should mention that you are located in the northeastern part of Arizona. It is considered arid. For the typical tourist who's driving through that part of the country, they might think, oh gosh, nothing grows here. But when you actually take the time to get out of your vehicle and meet the people who are indeed growing food for their community, you can see how miraculous it is, how seeds have adapted over time to those climate conditions, and there is no irrigation needed. And when I came home, that was the thing that I was talking most about, that there was no irrigation needed, that the seeds themselves evolved over time with respect from the individuals who are planting and harvesting. And that respect for the land and the seed and the food is so evident there. The recommendation, for example, that we not take more than we want to eat during the mealtime during the symposium was an example of that respect. So you didn't waste food. You grew what you needed. You took what, what satisfied you, but no more. And I was really struck by that. And I was also struck by the individuals who work with the crops and the land, the farmers, who consider themselves responsible for those crops the way we might feel about being responsible for our children. And why the fields were called fields rather than farms, because the size needed to be small enough so that the farmer could have a relationship with his land and his plants. So he wasn't closed off in a a combine, but he was actually with that land and with those plants and in knowledge of what was going on in the field. And that's a different way of looking at farming. It's it's more of a management. Uh, Again, going back to that concept of stewardship, you know, and, and really understanding what you're, limitations are, also understanding what the delicate balance is between you as the the farmer or caretaker and the resource that you're managing. Mm -hmm. 
one of the things that struck me were there were roles and there were of, of men and women within the Hopi farming community. And there was knowledge. There was so much knowledge about the different plants. As I said, when, when the typical tourist drives through northern Arizona, they might think, well, gosh, nothing is growing here. What a barren land. And in actuality, there are many plants with both medicinal properties as well as nutritional properties. And I recognize that unless we protect that knowledge and transfer that knowledge, it will be lost. And that was one of the challenges that I heard expressed during the symposium was this drive to connect young people with older people and transfer that knowledge. And I I think many societies struggle with that today. Yes, absolutely. I think part of it is the struggle to connect uh, across those generations. And there's, there's a lot of influences that impact that. School, for example, our young children go to school for the majority of the day, and they come back to parents who worked eight to five or longer hours, and they join each other for dinner, if at all. And they're just too exhausted to do that sharing. And one of the things that we do through other aspects of our work here at the foundation is to talk about family and how we strengthen families locally, how we use those circles and those opportunities to to remind each other or teach some of the values that we were raised as or our grandparents were raised with. And those interactions are few and far between. So as parents or uncles and aunts, older brothers and sisters, we have to really be more conscious of those opportunities as they present themselves. Mm -hmm. I remember when we first arrived, I had the opportunity to speak with some of the older women who had left the reservation. They had degrees, many of them master's degrees. They worked in Phoenix. They worked in Flagstaff. They worked in, some of them worked in Washington, D.C., but they came back to promote the values and the language and the culture so that younger people wouldn't forget that. But they remembered being children and being taken from their families, being brought to boarding schools, having their native language discouraged. Some of the women described having their mouths washed out with soap simply for speaking their native language. So I can see how there would be many challenges today in trying to restore the knowledge and the language, but it, and yet it's so important to keep the culture alive. Yes, we, we sort of lost a generation or two there to the boarding school experience, and the experience wasn't easy for many of them. A lot of my uh, uncles, my mothers, and my grandparents left the reservation to go to school. For me personally, I've been really fortunate, so by the time I was transitioning into high school, the high school here on the Hopi Reservation was built, and I didn't have to leave the reservation. Mm -hmm. Um, Another fortunate aspect of my upbringing was that I was raised by my grandparents, and there, there was a little bit more closer connection to that older way of thinking, some of those values that they still practiced on a regular basis. But they weren't totally separate from this Western worldview. My grandfather was a World War II veteran. My grandmother was a cook. She retired from the Bureau of Indian Affairs system where she was a cook at the local day school. And, you know, they, they 
were professionals in their own way, but in a lot of ways too, they were they were still carrying a lot of the knowledge that their parents and the generation before them had so strongly kept. And I think you know there are several individuals that have grown up in that type of household and and recognize that there are areas that we can strengthen a little bit more that we can each have an influence in in preserving and really recognizing those opportunities like I mentioned before to teach you know outside of our own family mm-hmm. um, outside of our own circles and and really for younger Hopi generations to come mm-hmm. I learned that the Hopi struggle to preserve a way of life and and protect your culture from outside influences, really not unlike many of us do with regard to the entire nation that struggles with the influence of the really powerful influences of commercial media and the loss of farmers and, and unemployment. Do you find that those challenges are specifically unique on the Hopi Reservation? I think in some ways it can be heightened. We're, we're really isolated if, if folks have ever had a chance to drive through our region of the world. It is very isolated. We're completely surrounded by another tribal nation, which is the Navajo. And the nearest township is about 60, 65 miles away from the center of our, of our community. And so we have to drive a long distance to experience something more external to Hopi. For example, like a McDonald's or a Walmart or a movie theater or a mall. You know, those are experiences that we don't have here on Hopi. And I think for very, very specific reasons, our community has kept a fast food industry out of our reach for a long time because the value of eating healthy or, you know, minimizing the impact of this Western society and and what it has on our community and our health, those are some of the reasons why we've stayed away from that. It doesn't mean that those ideas haven't been raised before, but that type of uh, implementation hasn't come through. And and I think, I would like to think for very good reasons and and because our value system is still so strong. the influence is through media, through television, through um, Internet. They're a little heightened because there's very limited opportunity for young people to get exposed to something exciting like technology or, you know, Facebook and other things like that. And they gravitate toward that. It becomes a little bit more of an influence, if you will, mm-hmm. and sometimes competes against what happens in our community culturally. You know, the, the learning how to sing songs or taking part in social dances or even going to the field and learning how to, to plant with your uncle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are the, the impact of, of that whole world is, is very real. It's happened to some extreme degrees with some families, some communities. But, you know, we're, we're all still in that state where we're in that teetering balance, and if we continue in the same path that we are now, we will tilt that balance more toward the Western side of things, and and I think part of the work that we have in, in just being a convener or a conversation starter as an organization in this community, we're helping to raise those ideas back to the forefront, 
And having those conversations are very important because those those conversations lead to ideas and ideas lead to action. And I feel that that's our role. Mm-hmm. There are many programs that the Hopi Foundation offers. And I should just take one minute to let our listeners know that we're speaking with Monica Nuvamsa. She is the executive director of the Hopi Foundation. And Monica and I actually met at a Kellogg Food and Community Conference this spring, and then I had the honor of being invited to the Hopi Agriculture and Food Symposium in Arizona. And uh, I just felt like I had learned so much and seen so much beauty that I needed to have Monica on so that we could talk a little bit more about her work. So, Monica, the Hobie Foundation offers several programs. You touched on the leadership program. There's a substance abuse prevention center. And there's a coalition that I'm extremely interested in called the Notwani Coalition. Tell us about that. Oh, boy. The Notwani Coalition is actually one of our more recent projects that was established in 2004 out of the idea that there was a need to bring together farmers and an effort to help support farmers in some way. Uh, One of the challenges that our community has had being a traditional farming community for, for many, many years, our farmers don't organize in the same sense that our local ranchers do. We have a local ranchers association. But our farmers are really different, and I think for, for some really, really good reasons. Farming is a, a traditional role that our men play in the community. It's directly tied to our culture, our spirituality, our social system. And when we think about how we connect with others in our community, we, we rely heavily on the social network that we are raised in, and that's our kinship structure, our clanships, our villages, and even our our religious society. But those connections are really important to the purpose and the role of farming in our in our society. The corn that is brought home by the farmers are directly provided to family um, first. Um, we we're not commercial farmers. We don't commodify that resource is actually an opportunity for our community to relate to one another on a a very personal way. The corn that's brought home is part of the family. That's the kind of thinking that we have around the resources that we produce. But when it comes to the, the network that farmers create, they very rarely, you know, come together and talk about best practice. And that type of conversation primarily takes place within the family, within the, the uncles or the brothers or the cousins. And on a broader sector, because we have 12 distinct villages in our community that are autonomous from one another, each village has their own way of doing things and each clan within each village has their own sort of personality or characteristic And then you overlay on top of that the different environments that the villages are situated in. Some are more sandy, for example. The clay content isn't as high. In other communities, there's more water, and irrigation is is a greater opportunity for them around um, seasonal rains. So there's a lot of different um, experiences that our farmers have that 
aren't generally consistent throughout the community. So this this idea with the coalition was to bring together those conversations, those experiences to share across the reservation what the the best practices are, maybe learning from one another on things like how to minimize the impact of worms in the cornfield or wind in certain regions of the reservation. So there, there's a lot of opportunity for learning within that particular community. There just wasn't any structure for it. And it, even today, we're still growing this idea of, of a, a collaboration among farmers. And as I said, farmers are very independent. They learn their best practice from generations before them. So sometimes they're very protective of that knowledge that they have. And I think for the most part, it, it is because each situation is different. You know, one farmer's best practice may not be the next farmer's best practice. Mm-hmm. But there are some common issues and concerns that come out from those conversations that are beneficial. Things like the influence of genetically modified seeds that are co- starting to come into our community. Mm-hmm. Um, influence of soil erosion, for example, some new techniques to, to manage those issues. Um, new bugs that are coming into our region. You know, there there are real beneficial conversations that result from this idea of a coalition. But in the term not one itself, we're not just talking about plants and we're not just talking about men who are, are raising these plants. We're talking about a network, a system of distribution, of growing, of sharing, of promoting and preserving life within the community. That's what Natwani is representative of in a word. So it gets very complex when when you look at it from that level. Hopi is never really just black and white. It's very multi-layered. And when we speak our language and use terms like that, you can take the literal um, example of what that means or you can look deeper and think about what that means spiritually or within your social network, or within your role as a male or a female. So that's what the coalition embodies. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated seeing some of the old photographs of farming, because to me it, it made me go back and realize these techniques that worked historically are still in place today and are still working. And there's something about seeing agricultural history through the, there's a historical Hopi agricultural photo exhibit, I guess it's what it's called, that was there at the symposium. And then there was also some educational statements about food and relationship with food that I thought, boy, we should be importing those and putting those up on billboards in my community. One of them had to do with eating food that is as close to the earth as possible. I guess we could restate that and say, don't eat so much processed food, but by saying close to the earth, that's a little bit different. That's really putting us back in connection with the earth. And then there was another recommendation that we should handle the food that we serve. So in other words, we should prepare more of it ourselves rather than depending on someone else to prepare it. And that's a wonderful recommendation because it's easy to lose the ability to prepare food, and that's really a life skill. 
And yet I meet young people today who don't know how to prepare food for themselves and don't know where the food comes from. And I commend you on recognizing the importance of that. And I, I want our listeners to know that you've got the most beautiful corn I've ever seen. And I would hope that it would never become contaminated with genetically engineered seed. It would be a crime against humanity. And your corn is the most beautiful colors, purple, red, blue, yellow, and then variations of those where there's been cross-pollination. You have a beautiful agricultural history. Thank you. Is there any, we have a few minutes left, and I want to give you an opportunity to share with our listeners any points about the foundation itself or programs that you are particularly connected or fond of. Oh, boy. I, I don't like to pick and choose from what we're doing because I feel like everything we have brought under the organization is really important to all of us as a community. One of my favorite aspects of our organization is that the majority of us are from our, from this community. So the work that we do, we're doing it for people we know, our neighbor, our grandparents, our, you know, high school sweetheart. <laughs> right. Or, you know, our classmates from elementary school. You know, these are people we grew up with. And the commitment, the level of commitment that each of us have in this work is there, and, and it comes from the heart. One of the other aspects that I, I really appreciate about this work is the ability to really use the information, the knowledge, the benefits of centuries of understanding, of history, of language in the, in the work that we do every day. None of the projects that we have, aside from the leadership program, has been developed by us as an organization. They were actually brought to us by members of the community and hosted by the organization, by the Hopi Foundation, to incubate until they're ready to become their own. So it it is a, a value that we have that we grow and we raise our children, our programs, our community, so that they become strong, Stand alone and self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. There is great value in having cultural as well as biological diversity. And I wish you the best of luck in keeping your culture alive despite all of the electronic intrusions that we all have to struggle with and to keep your crops unique to your culture and your foods unique to your culture. Gosh, I tasted foods that I had never tasted before, uh, blue corn puddings and tamales, and corn was absolutely very central to the foods that we ate, a very thin cornbread, and just keeping those traditions alive on how to prepare food for the community so that your community can teach so many others about the joys of being sustainable and the value of having a strong community. We are out of time, so I want to thank you again, Monica. We have been speaking with Monica Nuvamsa. She is the Executive Director of the Hopi Foundation, and I am so grateful for the opportunity to visit the Hopi Foundation this summer and to attend your Food and Agriculture Symposium, and I want to thank you for that opportunity. And I want to recommend that if people want to learn more about the Hopi Foundation, you can simply go online to www. 
HopiFoundation.org with the tagline, Strengthening Communities Through Collaborative Action. And I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemmelgarn in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Monica, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you, and good luck to everyone out there. Thank you. Thank you.